0: KPFK AUTO or online at kpfk.org. We'll take care of everything and you'll help support the quality programming you hear on KPFK. Just call 877 KPFK Auto. That's 877 KPFK AUTO or donate online at kpfk.org.
1: KBFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles.
2: So
1: As Los Angeles County jails, depopulation discussions continue with County Board of Supervisors. Here are today's headlines. Gloria Gray won the councilperson seat in Inglewood a history lesson with Mr. Ernest Krem III, Finland becomes NATO's newest member, international news from outside the NATO-controlled media sphere, commentary with Dick Platkin and the community calendar. All this and more coming up. Good evening. I am Angela Birdsong. The Los Angeles County Department of Public Health will launch the Los Angeles County Heart Heroes 2023 campaign, which seeks to train 500,000 Los Angeles County residents and workers in hands-only CPR by December 31st, 2023. Through numerous partnerships, hands-only CPR trainings will be held throughout the year at sporting events, entertainment venues, places of worship, college and school campuses, work sites, malls, and other places throughout L.A. County. The goal is to train 500,000 residents in hands-only CPR this year. On Tuesday, April 4th, the City of Inglewood Council meeting adopted the resolution declaring the results of the City Council runoff election for District 1, held on March 7th, 2023, showing Gloria Gray with 1,902 votes and George Dotson with 976 votes. The Inglewood City Council does declare and determine that Gloria Gray is elected as the council member for the remainder of the four-year term. KPFK Rebel Alliance News contacted Inglewood City Clerk's Office, who confirmed that Gray will be sworn into office this Friday, April 7th. The time has yet to be determined, but should be sometime in the afternoon. Tuesday's Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors meeting agenda item number 24, a motion by L.A. County Supervisors Hilda Solis and Janice Hahn titled Moving Forward Expansion of Secure Mental Health Beds and Development of Secure Mental Health Facilities to Depopulate the Los Angeles County Jails. To address the complexity of mental health needs of those who are incarcerated in the Los Angeles County jails, the County Board of Supervisors unanimously supported the September 2022 motion addressing the mental health crisis in the Los Angeles County, developing mental health care facilities to help depopulate the jail, which directed various county stakeholders for a report back on the development of secure mental health facilities in the county, creating care-first settings which would allow for those with serious mental illness to stabilize and recover, a process which is increasingly difficult in an overcrowded jail setting. The motion further states... The Board of Supervisors direct the Department of Mental Health and the Department of Health Services to move forward with the jail depopulation program to develop an initial 500 secure mental health care beds to care for P3, P4 individuals currently in the jails. P3, P4 are those with the most serious mental health needs and require more resources and support. As of January 30, 2023, there were 1,543 individuals at the P3 level of care and 172 at the P4 level of care in the county jails, which attribute to roughly 12% of the total jail population. Several individuals, including the executive director and the criminal justice chair of NAMI Greater Los Angeles County, submitted comments on agenda number item item number 24, with some supporting the motion to provide mental health care facility beds, saying that people do not get well in a cell. And those opposing the motion stated this is a public safety issue issue and not safe for children to have dangerous and unstable people released back into their lives. You can view the County of Los Angeles Board of Supervisors' weekly agenda on their website at bos.lacounty.gov.
3: KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles.
1: Grocery store workers from seven UFCW unions representing over 100,000 Kroger and Albertsons workers in 12 states and the District of Columbia, will hold actions in front of stores on April 4th to the 13th to connect with customers about the impacts of the proposed mega merger. Since the companies announced the proposed merger in October, workers' unions, consumer groups, and others have raised the alarm about the negative impact on workers, shoppers, and suppliers such as farmers and ranchers. In mid-March, a national coalition of over 100 organizations was announced with a new website, NoGroceryMerger.com. If the $24.6 billion mega merger is approved, it will drive out competition, increase food prices, create food deserts, and put 100,000 union jobs at risk. The growing opposition is asking the Federal Trade Commission to block the mega-merger from moving forward and block its negative impact on both consumer and labor markets. And Thousand Oaks grocery store workers will rally in opposition to the Kroger and Albertsons merger at Ralph's Number 620 at 1500 North Moore Park Road tomorrow, Thursday. Um, April 6th from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. To view the list of actions, go to NoGroceryMerger.com. On Saturday, April 1st, solidarity rallies were held in support of striking French workers who are fighting the Macron government, which wants to extend the time before workers can retire. Rallies were held in Los Angeles, New York, and San Francisco at the French consulates. In San Francisco, participants talked about the fight to defend Medicare, so Social Security against privatization, and the need for unions to mobilize.
4: United
5: we are strong as a
0: mountain.
5: United we are. I just want to say one thing, really which is, we have a lot to learn from the French workers. People in this country can retire at 62, or even many of them at 64. I have friends who are in their 70s, late 70s, who are working physical jobs. People in their 80s, are working at Walmart, we have, uh, in France, the workers know that after 62, there's a lot of life left. You could have, do good things that you choose to do. Not in this country. And even, and they want to wreck that. The government in France wants to wreck that and go to, you know, a 64 retirement. So uh, we have a lot to learn about how to protect or demand a decent life in this country. And the more important thing even is the strategy of a general strike to defend the working class, a general strike where the whole working class comes together. It's not one union, it's all of them working together for a decent life. So let's learn from the French. Solidarity. Welcome, Lisa Milos. I'm a
6: Chilean-American and uh, Chilean-New Yorker. And um, I belong to uh, APTI, University of Professional and Technical Employees. I'm a rank and file member. Um, I, I want to say that the uh, struggle of the French workers regarding the pension, uh, their pension and their fight for their pension, um, is something that the Chilean people know a lot about. Um, this year, marking 50 years. Since the um, overthrow of the Allende government in Chile, and um, since that overthrow, uh, pe- we've known for quite some time the role that Jack was referring to—the role of the AFL-CIO through the um, AIFLD, which now is called the Solidarity Center from the AFL-CIO—we've known of their participation in the um, destabilization of the allende government through the use of uh, truck worker strikes where they were paid in 1970s dollars 50 dollars a day to strike against the allende government we've known that they've been doing this in many different countries and they continue to do this under the guise of so-called union democracy however there is no real union democracy within the uh, leadership, the high leadership of the AFL-CIO, and and also within the many the, the San Francisco Labor Council. Right now, for example, um, within the San Francisco Labor Council is being run by an executive committee. From my experience as having been a member there, um, there have been uh, many anti-democratic decisions taken, and in particular. At the uh, last meeting that I was able to attend, um, the San Francisco Labor Council refused to support a uh, resolution in support of Mumia. That is something that is unheard of because the Labor Council historically had supported Mumia. They used the excuse that there was already going to be an event on that same day, Kyrie Nichols' event, but that event was going to be at 5.30 and MUMIA's event that was sponsored by the IFL, uh, ILWU um, was gonna be at 12 noon. They used that excuse and they refused to support that. They refused to support even the uh, possibility of sending a letter in support of MUMIA. So
5: we have a lot of
6: work to do Because as a result of my position at the Labour Council, as a result of my fighting for uh, that resolution to pass, as well as fighting for union democracy within the Labour Council, I was taken off the Labour Council. And unfortunately it's not only the union leadership um, of of, us, it's not only the the Labour Council leadership, but also uh, problems that exist within our own movements that that happens that where we do not support each other, where at the times when we should be supporting each other, which is when we're fighting against labor bureaucracy.
0: That's right.
6: Yeah. The pension issue. The people of Chile, after the overthrow of the Pinochet government in the in 1981, they were basically forced out of their public pensions by the barrel of a gun. Literally, the people, the workers, were forced into what's called the privatized retirement system, AFP. AFP. Now, most people might have heard about the uprising that happened in October 2019. Among the reasons was not only the 30 cents raise in the in the fares of the buses, but one of the major reasons had been that. People were literally left in poverty after 35 years of contributing to a privatized retirement system. Teachers, 35 years of, of work were left with one third of the poverty level wages as a result of their retirement. They would retire in one third of their wages, they could not, they would have to decide whether to buy medicine or to be able to eat. So, during this period of time, the movement was born called No Mas AFP. And we, we cannot ignore the fact that the majority of these retirement companies, retirement financial capital comes from the United States. It is the United States that holds these bonds, that holds these money, the money of trillion workers. But it's also the AFL-CIO who holds the dues of, of American workers that is going towards the intervention in workers' movements and popular governments around the world. So it's our money that they're using. So I'm here to say that we've got a long road ahead of us because we really need to stick together and we need to people to account, people who are supposed to be allies. But when it comes to confronting the union bureaucracy, take completely different positions.
0: I want to start off by saying that the International Longshore and Warehouse Union has for a long time had an internationalist perspective towards the working class in other countries. Yeah, in. And okay. uh, most recently, the most dramatic international class struggle was the Liverpool dockers. And 10%. one of the first Dock Workers' Unions to come to their aid were the French Dockers. Not only are they active in supporting other trade unionists on strike. But they have a long, proud history of opposing imperialism, French imperialism. For instance, in the Vietnam War, when the French troops were surrounded in the Bien, Bien Phu, the French government was offered atomic bombs in order to protect their troops that were encircled by the Vietnamese. The French were intelligent enough to refuse that because that would have started a nuclear war. The reason, one of the main reasons why the French government refused that is because the working class in France was mobilized against the war in Indochina. The dock workers there were refusing to load military weapons to go to Indochina. Why? Because when the ships came in from Indochina, they were unloading coffins. And when they were going back to Indochina, they were loading military weapons. So it wasn't that difficult for the French stock workers to understand that equation. And they were very militantly opposed to the French imperialist war in Indochina. The same in North Africa. They did the same thing when there was a liberation struggle in North Africa. They refused to send military weapons to repress the Algerian revolution. These are the kinds of mobilizations that the working class needs today. But I want to read a brief solidarity statement from the French stock workers of Baha'u. Thanks for your solidarity. We will inform all the French doctors and dock workers of your support. We will continue the strike and try to generalize it. We express our solidarity and support to Comrade Dockers in the National Federation of Ports and Docks of the CGT, in all the ports of France, and in a struggle where they and other French workers are mobilized against the pension reforms imposed on the workers while attacking democracy. We condemn the repression against demonstrators and the violent response by police forces. We will stand together and act for the legitimate demands of respect for democracy and workers' rights that can be achieved. The French government and president must understand the power of the unity and solidarity of the European dockers and dock workers from CGT. We also demand that Momia Abu-Jamal must be released from prison. He is the most well-known political prisoner in America. We know that he has expressed solidarity for striking workers before and will do it again for the French working class. Together, in solidarity, we will win against capitalism and fascism. That's from the French black workers in Lahore.
5: Havre. So,
0: that's their revolutionary contribution to the working-class struggle that's happening around the world. Why do we see general strikes in France, in Greece, but in this country, the working-class ca- is silent? It's more of a, Why is that? It's because of the leadership of the trade unions in this country, in particular, the AFL-CIO, which supports every U.S. imperialist war. Everyone, we've got to change that.
1: KPFK is a non-commercial, listener-sponsored, educational radio with programming for you outside of Fox, CNN, MSNBC News, or in addition to other news outlets. And something that you may not know is that because of your donations, KPFK provided a place and a space for me to learn radio production. Yes, me, Angela Birdsong. I first came to KPFK in January of 2009. I was a program assistant on Some of Us Are Brave. It was a black women's collective program. I didn't know anything about radio except for just turning on the dial and just like most people do, just listening to radio, right? But here I am anchoring the news, KPFK Rebel Alliance News. Thank you, guys because of your donations, and my donations too, and my family's donations, and friends, and strangers, that I'm able to continue learning and growing here at KPFK. I can't go to other radio stations to do this. I couldn't go, I guess I shouldn't name those other radio stations, but you know those commercial radio stations here in the Los Angeles area. They're just anywhere, right? But at KPFK, I can come here. I came here in 2009 and learned how to do radio, how to support on-air personalities, how to be a liaison between on-air personalities and management. And because of your donations, we're able to do this. So go to kpfk.org and click donate. And let's keep Supporting community radio and providing a place, not just for me, it may be another Angela Bird song out there who needs this space and this place to learn how to do radio production. We need some new voices in radio, right? So, you guys, come on, kpfk.org, and donate. All right. The announcement Tuesday that Finland is now a member of NATO almost doubles the shared border between Russia and NATO. Russia's foreign and defense ministries expressed their concern about the heightened threat to their security that this presents. Finland is now on the front line of many military exchange between Washington and Moscow, and there are other costs as well. Don DeBar has more.
7: The latest expansion of NATO has greatly damaged the security situation in the whole of Europe, according to Russia. Finland's decision to join NATO will have a negative effect on its relationship with Russia. Finland finalized the process of joining NATO on Tuesday. This was Russia's Defense Minister, Sergei Shoigu. Earlier this week.
0: Some of the Belarusian assault aircraft have gained the ability to strike enemy targets with nuclear weapons. In addition, the Iskander-M tactical missile system has been transferred to the Belarusian forces. It can use missiles, both conventional and nuclear versions. From April 3rd, training of Belarusian army has began on using Iskander
7: M for the protection of the Union state. A spokesperson for the foreign ministry said it used to be one of the most stable regions in the world and pointed out that the border between NATO and Russia has more than doubled over the past few years. Not only has joining NATO hurt Finland internationally, it also has hurt it domestically. Petri Krohn is a geopolitical analyst based in Helsinki, Finland. He's also an anti-fascist researcher and writer. We spoke with him from Helsinki on Wednesday.
8: What is happening in Finland right now is very similar to the events in the Baltic States in 1940, when they voluntarily uh, joined uh, joined the Soviet Union. The Estonian parliament voted unanimously to ask for becoming a member of the member state of the Soviet Union. They were in very many many ways uh, similar, that there is hardly any opposition to the NATO membership. People are having parties. And of course, uh, the context in both cases is the war. But the difference is, the point point is that later, in modern times, the Baltic people uh, are speaking about the Soviet occupation as if, as if they, they themselves voluntarily joined the Soviet Union and somehow became an occupation. And in many ways, what NATO, what I see, in, the way I see the NATO membership uh, is a kind of NATO occupation, NATO occupation of Finland that's, that has in fact been going on, on for almost 10 years. The, it, the interesting question is how Finland was taken over by NATO without uh, the people ever being asked.
7: That is an interesting question.
8: Okay, this is, this is kind of background. Wow. This has been a ten-year process, at least ten years, and it has started with uh, with the total totalitarian takeover of the Finnish media. All newspapers, media were unanimous in uh, in pushing the agenda for uh, for NATO membership. At first, it was done then more and more openly. And the last two years, it has been total anti-Russian uh, hysteria. The 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 people, were never officially asked but they were spoon-fed and anti-Russian agenda. And now, after membership, most people seem to be celebrating the membership. The opposition, there is very little vocal opposition, and absolutely no parliamentary op- opposition. And this can be seen in the parliamentary elections last Sunday, less than a week ago, when all parties, most anti-NATO candidates that have been uh, working in the in the old parties, they got less than two percent of the vote altogether. The new government will be at least as as anti-Russian, pro-U.S., pro-NATO than the old old government.
7: Yeah, what do you think will be the effects of uh, the joining of NATO f- on the people of Finland?
8: What I would like to say is that uh, NATO membership is uh, devastating for Finland in three reasons. For security for economy and for civil rights on the security issue i do not think that it uh, the membership the reason why finland suddenly joins uh, nato it is not for finnish security the membership serves american geopolitical interests or what you americans called national security maintaining and building empire on the finnish side the main reason the main main motivation actually is the desire to defeat russia to defeat russia and help ukraine people see see this as some kind of revenge for the finnish loss in the second world war it's a revanchist agenda
7: we're seeing in the baltics and of course in Uh, Ukraine a resurgence of uh, not just fascism but actual Nazism is there anything comparable in Finland
8: not directly comparable but uh, what has happened in Eastern Europe is that uh, the political forces that uh, during the war second world war were compromised because of their collaboration with uh, the Nazi occupiers have returned to power and as a result, they have completely rewritten the history. They speak about Soviet occupation, when in fact, like the Baltic states, they uh, de facto voluntarily joined the Soviet Union. In the Baltics, in Estonia, that has a great influence on Finland, and this, uh, uh, they practice what I would like to call an apartheid politic, politic, uh, policy. After independence, uh, Soviet citizens, and uh, Sto- uh, soviet-Estonian citizens of uh, Russian origin were stripped of their, uh, of their citizenship. And to legalize this uh, policy of apartheid, they created a new his- new re- re- rewritten history about their suffering as, as a result of Soviet occupation. But this alter russian agenda has moved over the Gulf of Finland and has been dominating Finnish thinking for about the last 15 years. Of course, uh, as part of this agenda is the, well, you could say glorification of these uh, uh, Nazi collaborators in Estonia, in the Baltic states. Finland has right-wing groups, the populist right-wing groups and even uh, national socialist groups. But up to now, they don't have anti-Russian agenda. In fact, many of the Finnish so-called patriots are uh, very pro-Russian. Like the populist Troupens party, that won in the latest election and uh, most likely be part of the future government, they have been split between uh, pro-NATO, anti-Russian factions and some kind of patriotic, more moderate, peaceful factions. The previous government, uh, the kind of a left-wing government led by uh, the Social Democrats, was very uh, pro-NATO and, in fact, very supportive of uh, Ukraine. Uh, sending 10 different batches of arms, to, including Leopard 2 tanks, to Ukraine. But the uh, government, most likely, will be as much pro-US, pro, uh, uh, pro-NATO. pro It will be formed uh, by the winner, the Conservative Party, which has always been uh, pro-NATO, and the true Finns, which are now are 200 years of peaceful times. And then we had uh, 800 years of history and prehistory of, uh, constant wars with, <laughs> constant wars with Russia. Okay. So it looks like Finland has thrown overboard all the political wisdom they have gained over 200 years of statehood.
7: So much for the question of whether or not NATO is good for Finland's security. Also, you raised the question about what are the impacts for economics and for civil rights?
8: On the economic front, NATO membership and the whole economic war against Russia is devastating for Finland. I would calculate that the uh, economic loss is maybe 350 billion euros or dollars. In the short run, maybe 100 billion in the, in the long run. Finland has greatly benefited from its trade with uh, Russia. In fact, most much of the Finnish industry was built on Soviet trade. Finland has direct railway link to to China and has become a a hub for Chinese commerce, kind of the Silk Road. The Finnish airline Finnaar, its main business was in the Asia market, direct flights to China, Japan, Asia, over Russian airspace. All of this has now been abandoned. Instead, we are investing billions in new arms, new weapons, mainly American weapons, fighter jets and rockets, and preparing for war. The third point, uh, civil liberties. Finland has been one of the most stable democracies in the world. And uh, we had a freedom of press. Finland always scored that top points in, in comparisons in these fields. And we, uh, we, we still have a very healthy welfare state. But this was a result of a very pluralistic political system with uh, right-wing parties, left-wing communist parties. But all of this is now becoming history. Of course, the press is now totally under centralized control. But what we will be getting with NATO is this US-style surveillance, a surveillance state. What I have noticed is that people from the democratic free press, they are afraid to speak or write about political issues on online under their own names. And this is the, this is the, difference, the difference between Finland and, uh, and NATO countries. I've never been afraid to publicly state my opinions. But under NATO memberships, I'm afraid that this will no longer be, uh, be possible.
7: Well, if one looks to Ukraine for an example, I'd have to say I agree with you. Thank you so much for your time, and we hope to speak with you again soon, Petri. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Four KPFK, I'm Don DeBar.
9: Four KPFK, Rebel Alliance News. Here are today's international highlights with a special focus on non-NATO media. Telesur reports, on Tuesday, the Mexican government announced a new nationalization of the electricity industry after purchasing 13 electricity generation plants, which will become part of the public patrimony and will be operated by the Federal Electricity Commission. The measure was presented by the President Andrés Manuel López Obrador, who also highlighted that the National Infrastructure Fund will be the entity in charge of financing the purchase. The purchase will be completed in the next five months and will cost around $6 billion. This action will allow the Federal Electricity Commission to increase its participation in the production of electricity from 39.6% to 55.5% and thus become the main supplier in the country, which means the definite rescue of a public company in other news from mexico the mexican president asked his chinese counterpart for help in halting chemicals from china used by mexican drug dealers to illegally produce fentanyl the president sent a letter requesting greater coordination between the two countries to obtain timely information on the movement timing origin and destination of the substance and the entities acquiring
4: the substance we come to you president xi jinping not to ask you for support in the face of these blatant threats
0: but to ask
4: you for humanitarian reasons to help us control the shipments of fentanyl that may be sent from china to our country for example It would be an invaluable support to have information on who imports this substance, in what quantity, in which vessels when they leave the Chinese ports, and which Mexican ports they arrive at and the specific type of substance.
9: AMLO explained that fentanyl is highly addictive and psychologically devastating. It is considered 50 times more powerful than heroin and 100 times more powerful than morphine, causing disorders that lead to irreversible loss of life in a short period of time. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 107,573 people died in 2021 while using it. Due to its high economic profitability, fentanyl has been a substitute for other drugs or narcotics. The Mexican Foreign Minister Marcelo Ebrard said that, according to official figures, the United States is the largest trafficker of fentanyl.
10: The senator says that practically we Mexicans are not only the origin of the problem, but we are also the ones who traffic We carry and bring the fentanyl, but according to the figures in the United States, as Mr. President has just commented, 86.3% of the people in prison are U.S. citizens. Therefore, the fact that Mexicans are the ones who cause the problem, even in the United States, they traffic, carry and bring is also false. Because these are official figures, 86.3% are citizens of the United States.
9: Consortium News reports, citizens, diplomats and unions gathered in Wollongong, south of Sydney, to say no to Port Kembla, its neighboring harbor, becoming host to AUKUS nuclear submarine technology. They also said no to a hostile foreign policy towards China. Meanwhile, no plan has been announced by the government regarding disposal of the high-grade nuclear waste generated by the submarines.
7: I'm a union organizer at the University of Wollongong. And I can tell you that staff and students are horrified by the prospect of nuclear subs sitting in our port. For
10: 34 years, I was an Australian diplomat. I was ambassador in Vietnam, in South Korea, in Mexico and Cuba. I've never been in a situation that we're now in. This is an existential problem. The United States is pressuring Australia to buy nuclear propelled submarines to be based here Port Kembla. The only purpose for these submarines, ladies and gentlemen, is for war against China. If that happens, it will be an apocalypse, and Australia will suffer. The United States can always withdraw across the Pacific. We can't. This is our neighbourhood. As Paul Keating said, we should be building our security within the region, not against the region.
4: Absolutely. Alison Brunowski, we're in Wollongong in Port Kembler, talking about nuclear submarines. We're here partly about nuclear submarines, but we're here about war in general and the prospect of Australia, as is predicted by numerous American generals, being at war against China within two or three years. A most horrendous prospect for us. This is in our region, this is where we live, this is where we have to continue to live while the Americans can retreat across the Pacific if they want. We don't want to be involved in this and the AUKUS agreement is one way in which government is positioning Australia to be involved. Right. So the workers at Port Kembla, this being one of the potential sites, they're kind of worried about using the technology. Is it dangerous for the workers? Nuclear technology is dangerous for everybody, wherever it is. And that's why we. one of the reasons why we don't have nuclear power plants, because they'd have to be around the coast, and there is no area where the local government would say they want a nuclear power plant in their region. Mm. We can't dispose of the waste we have already. We couldn't dispose of the waste from nuclear submarines. We have no idea how we're going to do that, and the government doesn't either.
9: The United Nations Children's Fund is warning that over 15 million Afghan children are in need of humanitarian assistance due to acute malnutrition. Press TV has more.
3: The situation of children in Afghanistan is alarming, according to a recent report by the United Nations Children's Fund. UNICEF says it has recently screened over a million children under five years of age for acute malnutrition. The UN body notes that nearly 900,000 children are suffering from severe malnourishment, a life threatening condition that requires immediate treatment. Experts say the ongoing food insecurity and poverty, among other factors, are pushing Afghan children and women into malnutrition and (laughs) starvation.
0: Malnutrition is caused by a deficiency of energy and protein which is supposed to be provided by food. Complete food comes from a good economy. Unfortunately, many Afghan families can't provide enough food for their children. As a result, they face malnutrition. Natural disasters and an inappropriate environment also contribute to malnourishment. Afghan children are facing all these factors and they're very much exposed to malnutrition and its starvation.
5: We're living on borrowed money and food from our neighbors. When they run out, we have nothing to feed our children. My disabled husband used to have a job, but now he is unemployed. I have no money to
3: buy medicine or food for my children and myself. Therefore, they're always suffering from malnutrition. UNICEF also says that more than 15 million children in Afghanistan are in need of humanitarian assistance. The UN agency has appealed for more funding and support to help 19 million people in Afghanistan, including children and women. This call is echoed by the Afghan Health Ministry, which is also complaining about the harsh effects of the U.S. sanctions and freezing of Afghan assets. Health services have nothing to do with politics. The U.S. and its allies' phrasing of our assets and sanctioning our country is an illogical move. Our assets are the rights of all Afghans, so they must be able to enjoy them. If such sanctions and restrictions continue, the health sector will be crushed further. Therefore, we are calling for the removal of sanctions and more health assistance, so we can make hospitals and health centers operational. Besides malnutrition, another challenge faced by Afghan children is the lack of access to basic services, such as water, sanitation and health care. The UNICEF report adds, Afghan hospitals are also under stress in the face of growing diseases and major cuts in funding. Afghan children are facing increasing miseries amid economic and food crisis in their country. Advocates are appealing to the international community to step up its solidarity with and generosity towards Afghan children.
9: And that's all in today's international highlights from non NATO media. For KPFK, I'm Paulina Vasilyev.
1: KPFK Rebel Alliance News, Los Angeles. FM KPFK. The only place you will hear eclectic mix of true diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging engagement with you and the listeners. Where the listeners and programmers, I believe, are in spiritual partnership. Well, you guys know what to do. Go to kpfk.org and click donate. Do you know that I am third generation of being a part of KPFK as a member As a listener, my grandmother's youngest brother, Uncle Frank. Hey, Uncle Frank. He listens to KPFK, and he's been on on the air as a guest here back, back in the 70s. My mother listens, so that's second generation. So me, that's third generation. And look, there's a fourth generation right after me that has come here to volunteer at Liberated Sisters with me. And to get the experience behind the scenes in radio reality. So let's kickstart your involvement with me and my family and with you guys. And start a subscription with KPFK. Go to kpfk.org and click donate. Let's keep the momentum going. And I just want to say thank you for being connected to us as partners and providing a place where families and friends listen together. All right. Dick Plaktkin, who serves on the board of United Neighborhoods for Los Angeles, provides us with his written commentary. Why is Los Angeles population declining despite the rosy forecast? Between July 1st, 2020 and July 1st, 2022, California's population dropped by 509,000 people, almost for all-from-out migration. In the same period, Los Angeles County lost 300,000 people for a similar reason, move-outs. From July 2022 to April 2023, the same causes remained, producing more population decline. In response, the corporate media boosters are desperate to find evidence of a turnaround, which is why they spotlight increases in traffic volumes and conveniently forgetting that traffic jams have been a chronic problem in Los Angeles for the past century. While data for the city of Los Angeles is harder to find, the city had nearly 3.9 million people at the beginning of the pandemic, and three years later, LA's population has declined to 3.7 million. The L.A. Times summarized the causes for this population loss as follows. Migration out of the county has increased with the cost of living increases. The rise of work, working from home likely to blame. Immigration has decreased due to in part to federal policies and pandemic restrictions. Since population decline was not predicted, it is instructive to look back at what City Hall once imagined L.A.'s future population to be. When the Los Angeles City Council adopted the general plan framework in 1996, the framework forecast a 2010 population of 4.3 million people. This methodology is unreliable because past trends seldom predict the future. Not only does Los Angeles Los Angeles not have any open land left for new suburban-style subdivisions, but the cost of housing soared faster than incomes because wages stagnated and real estate companies like Blackstone gobbled up homes with cash purchases. Only a small percentage of Californians can now afford to buy a house because housing affordability dropped from 31% in 2016 to 18% in 2023. In Los Angeles, the housing crisis is much worse. In September 2022, when mortgage rates were already 5.3%, a typical L.A. family needed to devote 84% of its income to house payments and property taxes. The Manhattan Pacific Realty Housing Affordability Index now pegs Los Angeles at 13%. 87% of Angelenos are priced out of the housing market. Their options are renting, Overcrowding, moving out, or sleeping outside. The claims of perpetual population growth in Los Angeles have crashed into the rocks. It reflects the outlook of the urban growth machine that dominates city hall politics. What suburban sprawl and infill development have in common is profit maximization. It once led to quickly constructed low-density suburban subdivisions served by cars and freeways. But when profitability of suburbia shrank, real estate investors became true believers in luxury buildings, luxury apartment buildings, situated near mass transit. As for LA's population, it would continue to shrink with the infillers and gentrifiers, squeezing out as much profit as possible while they still can. Dick Platkin is a retired Los Angeles city planner who reports on local planning issues for City Watch LA and is a board member of United Neighborhoods for Los Angeles. Mr. Ernest Krim III, a black history advocate who uses history to empower to empower educate and create equitable systems shares a history lesson with us today
2: like most teenagers i was super excited to get my license when i first turned 16 i was even more excited when like nine months later i got my first license but here's the thing i was scared y'all what was i scared about I was scared because i thought when i drove around i would get lost everywhere i went because in my mind i'm like how do my parents always know where to go when somebody gives them an address now my parents kind of eased my attention a little bit because they let me know that chicago's on the grid and let me know about north and south and east and west and the number system and how that worked out and what's even more my dad gave me a map yeah he actually gave me a map now i'm not sure if y'all really know what a map is but see i know in our era The map is a foreign concept, but the map is like a flattened version of the globe and it lets you know where you can go. My dad gave me one of those for Chicago. Now again, I looked at that as if it was written in a foreign language. I had no idea what I was gonna be doing with it. Luckily enough for me, my mom let me know that there was a website called MapQuest. MapQuest saved my day. All I had to do was type in my starting address and type in where I needed to go and bam, I would print it out. Now I would take it a step further, I would print the directions and go back to my house too as well. Now fast forward, I eventually get an actual GPS system, somebody stole it out of my car. But luckily enough, I got a smartphone not too long after that and I had the GPS on it already. A lot of us benefit from that right now we never have to worry about where we're going or how to get there because all we have to do is type in the address who do we have to thank for that though dr gladys west is the black woman whose mathematical calculations made it possible for us to even have a gps system but how is it possible that a black woman who was born in the jim crow south as a sharecropper was able to overcome such insurmountable odds to provide us with such precise calculations in the middle of the civil rights era the first lesson I learned from Dr. Gladys West is the importance of having a vision when an example is not readily available for you. This is what I mean. Dr. Gladys West was born into a family who was sharecropping in the 1930s. Slavery had so-called ended about 60 years prior. But when it ended, most black families didn't have a skill set that would be profitable outside of doing agricultural work. And they also didn't have a training in any type of formal education. So if they could not go to the North, a better economic opportunity they would have to do the exact same work they did during slavery which was working on farm the issue is they couldn't actually own farms most times so they went right back to working for the exact same person who had enslaved them under a different title see now it's called sharecropping meaning that you farm this land and you share your earnings with the person who owns the land as opposed to making most of the profit Dr. Gladys West knew this wasn't something that was consistent with what she wanted to actually do with her life. So she said, this is not what I'm gonna do. This isn't the life for me. She began to submerge herself into education until she found out what she wanted to be. But again, y'all remember, she did not have an example of what she could be at that time, when she knew what she did not want. And that vision of what she did not want Propel her into what she became in the future. The second thing I learned from Dr. Gladys West is the importance of having supportive people in your corner. I touch on this principle a lot because it's something that keeps reoccurring every time I do research on somebody. And for Dr. Gladys West, when she was in high school, she graduated at the top of her class, remember, because she submerged herself into education. But she was great at every subject. She didn't know what she wanted to study, but she had some people in her life. I'm not sure exactly who, whether it be a parent, whether it be a counselor, whether it be an instructor. but they said, you're great at everything, so why not try the most difficult field? Go into mathematics, go into science, and that's exactly what she did because somebody encouraged her to. Consider how monumental that form of encouragement is. We don't know who actually encouraged her to go into mathematics or science, but we know that somebody did it because she said it and documented it. Now I want you to juxtapose this to Malcolm X. Malcolm X was born and raised in the same era, Jim Crow South, 1930s, 1940s. He was at the top of his class too, but he had a teacher who did the exact opposite the inverse of what this person did in dr gladys west life. he told his teacher he wanted to be a lawyer his teacher said that's no career for an n-word And then malcolm x quickly went into a life of crime after that just imagine how many of our young folks are not being encouraged in the correct way and because of that they're choosing an alternative route most times that route leads to jail or death For a life of complacency. And the third thing, the last thing I learned from Dr. Gladys West is the importance of documenting your own history and making sure people know about the great things you have achieved. This is particularly important in our history, no matter at what point in time in history for black folks, because we have to tell our stories If we don't tell our stories. They'll push it to the side. We have a great and amazing history a regal history, but it's still just being uncovered because there were people who orchestrated our demise and kept the knowledge and the great things we did because they knew that if people were told about it and knew about it, it would inspire them to do great things. The reason why I'm saying this is because Dr. Gladys West, her accomplishments and her contributions to the GPS system wasn't really well known until 2018 because she documented it somewhere with her sorority sisters, the AKAs, and they told the world. Before then, most people didn't even know what she did. And she did this in the 50s and 60s, y'all. So there's something that you're doing. There's something that an elder in your life is doing that's great and phenomenal. There's something they already did that needs to be told to the world, y'all. Because if we hold this inside, this is very important. If we hold this inside, we're possibly limiting the progress and the the success of the next generation because they don't have the example of us as their model for success. Dr. Gladys West did all of this without a model for success. But for a lot of us, we got to see it to believe it. And I'm one of those people, so thank you, Dr. Gladys West. Now I need you to think about this. Consider everything I just talked about, everything I mentioned. And I want you to answer this question. What action will you take to make history today?
1: Black Joy, that's a new sound of the protest. And I promise when I meet
0: the king, he ain't asking me for none of this acoustic stuff. We gon' shake it up.
1: What it is, KPFK. I'm Angela Birdsong, and here is your Rebel Alliance News Community Calendar. 100 Black Men of America, Incorporated, Worldwide Health and Wellness Committee, presents a symposium on assessing the impact of climate change and toxic environments on the health and well-being of black communities, with key speakers in this field, covering the impact of indoor and outdoor climate, water-related illnesses, mental health, and much more on Thursday, April 6th in downtown Los Angeles. Seating is limited, and for more information and to RSVP, call 562-257-7104. Join Standing for Black Girls Missing and Murder Community Action, along with art making and and a healing space, Saturday, April 15th, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., 4343 Leimert Boulevard in Los Angeles. For more information or to volunteer, visit womensleadershipla.org. Range Projects Gallery presents From the Edges Exhibit with artists Won Sil Kim and Peggy Sivert. And this is going to, this exhibit runs April 8th to the 25th at Range Projects Gallery, 3718 West Lawson Avenue in Los Angeles. Thursdays 1 to 3, Fridays 6 to 9, Saturdays 3 to 7, and the opening reception is this Saturday, April 8th. It's going down in beautiful downtown Long Beach with Mr. Silky Smooth with special guest Margaret Love for a night of dancing and live music. Friday, April 7th, 8 p.m. at Roscoe's Jazz Lounge at 730 East Broadway. Well, I'm Angela Birdsong, and with more than a Sparrow Productions, and you've been listening to KPFK Rebel Alliance News. I really hope that you guys support us by going to kpfk.org and donating and becoming a monthly subscriber. KPFK, we're here providing generational listenership, right? I told you I'm third generation, so generational listenership outside of Fox, CNN, NMSNBC News, or in addition to any other news outlet. Allow us to continue to build and reimagine what community radio should look like here at KPFK. So go to kpfk.org and press the donate button. If you want to become part of our news show, reach out to us, news at kpfk.org. Thanks to our engineer, Wendell Handy, and all Rebel Alliance news contributors. We hope you will join us again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Until then, let all that you do be done with love. Have a great evening, Los Angeles. Coming up next, Feminist Magazine. You're listening to KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles.
5: Maybe you've been listening to Pacifica and KPFK for years, even decades, and you appreciate how important KPFK is in your life. If you're a forward-thinking donor who wants future generations to benefit from KPFK's independent journalism and unhindered creativity, then join KPFK's Legacy Circle and include KPFK in your will or living trust. For details, visit our website at kpfk.org, and thank you for considering KPFK in your future gift-giving plan i wow.